Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. The Seattle Seahawks are on their bye week at 5-0. and And I thought I'd bring in a little discussion here for the bye week. Bringing on Tyler Alson, who he recently had a post about the Seahawks 2020 offseason. Kind of taking a look at it and reviewing that now that we're a few weeks into the season. And it's a good time to do it. And you know what? I haven't had Tyler on yet. So Tyler, welcome to the podcast. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, excited to be here. Um, it's been a great community to be part of, and what a what a season. So yeah, before we get into your article, what has been your take on the season so far? Is is five and zero? Oh, is it exceeding your expectations that you had going into this year? Yeah, I think so. Uh, especially, you know, the biggest takeaway uh, for me was last week. Uh, it seemed like the Seahawks took the three most stressful games that I can remember and then double down against the Vikings and they just keep doing it. Yeah. I, I would be uh, happy if, you know, we didn't have so many of those moving forward, but at the same time, I, I just can't complain too much as long as yeah. the team is winning. You know, if, yeah. it's, if they finish 16 and zero and we have to deal with that for 11 more games, I will, gr- I'll go grit through it, Tyler. Yeah. As painful as it is. Uh, and I'm doing a funny, you know, silly little thing on Twitter right now, just because uh, Seahawks were picked by some guys at ESPN for one of those candidates for regression. Uh, and the primary reason was because no team can keep winning one possession games this much. Uh-huh. And I think they've thrown that rationale out the window. Uh, Russell Wilson, something else. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, looking back to that article it was the Seahawks and I think the Green Bay Packers were the other one, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Not working out well for them, but it goes to show you this is something that can be sustainable and, and something that I, I feel like Pete even enjoys for whatever crazy reason. Yeah, he said that he, he called himself sick, I think, <laughs> on one of the interviews. It is a sickness, but we will deal with it. And let's get into this article because. I, I do think it's a good topic for the bye week just because of the fact now that we have seen these players for about five weeks of the season, especially when you're talking about free agents, when you're talking about some of the draft picks, you kind of get an idea uh, and you're starting to get an idea. Even looking back to the 2018, 2019 draft picks, you're actually you're starting to see how they're going to be a part of the team moving forward. So I like the idea of of having a discussion around this and uh, and with it being the bye week, it's it seems like the perfect time, Tyler. So why don't we start off in your article? You, you started off with the draft. I, I kind of want to start off with the trades, though, because uh, yeah. Jamal Adams, Quentin Dunbar, two of the big trades of the offseason. Adams came a little bit late. And even though he has been out to injury for the first couple of weeks, it's hard not to see this as being a, a huge move in, uh, for the positive for the Seahawks. Yeah, a huge move. And and when you think about that, they have another year. I think it's a huge win already uh, with the contract that he's on and even just his presence on the sidelines with the team on Seahawks Twitter. This guy is everywhere. And all of the doubts about him being a bad teammate or disgruntled seem so far to have been uh, exclusive to the New York Jets. And it's hard to blame someone for that. I think it was perfect that they rested him. They've got a bye week. He's going to be a monster down the stretch as things get cold. Teams look at the Minnesota tape and try to start running again, maybe. But I'm I'm really excited that he's here. And what an incredible start in just the short time that we saw. 
yeah, already two sacks on the year and something that we've needed from him, just the the pressure numbers that he brings. And I could see him you know, before the injury. I was thinking that double digit sacks is not out of the question. And, and maybe that still isn't out of the question, but something that we're going to be watching. Quentin Dunbar, the other trade for the Seahawks. And he has been maybe not much of a lock as far as a good deal in the trade, as you would say with Jamal Adams. But in terms of the compensation that they gave up to Washington to get him, I don't think he has to do quite as much to kind of uh, to make up for that compensation. It's fascinating that teams continue to do this with John Schneider. Uh, I don't know how he gets these deals. But the thing with Dunbar that makes this so incredible is his competition is is one of the most, um, unfortunately, poked at positions, poked at players on the entire starting roster in Trey Flowers. And the difference that we've seen, as long as we can get Quentin Dunbar on the field, um, I'm all for that. And he really did seem like he was the guy to win the job in the preseason by getting out there right away in week one, now dealing with the injury issues. And I, But I don't think it's going to be difficult to see. As long as he's healthy, he's going to be starting ahead of Trey Flowers this season. Yeah, you'd have to think that's their hope for the long run. Well, you graded them out positively in terms of trades, but looking at some of the players in free agency, maybe maybe not as positive and one of the biggest signings that, that you listed first in your article, Tyler, it was uh, one that I don't think you're going to get much argument from is the fact that BJ Finney rated uh, graded out as an F in your article. The kind of money that they spent there, that if it could have gone somewhere else, it would have had a much bigger impact on the team. For me, looking at the three pieces, if we're talking the trades, the draft and free agency, um, I I think there were positives in all three, but but free agency was a distant third for me. And a lot of it points to the money and the decision-making. Uh, and that's why I led with BJ Finney, because I think he was a perfect example of, uh, they went out and they signed some guys that seemed to be proven backups, or uh, in the case of you know Greg Olson, there were injuries and age and things, but, but they did it at positions where... Seahawks have young guys that are still trying to prove who they are in this league. Mm. And what we've seen out of Ethan Posick um, just makes the signing all the more questionable why they continue to uh, put guys at, at different positions than what they were in college. It generally has been in the secondary, but they did it here with Ethan, po- Ethan Posick, who was a center, right. and tried playing him at guard for years. And he's not only won the job, he's stolen the job. He's made most of us forget who B.J. Finney was, except for the fact that he could make $8 million. Yeah, you know, it is very interesting how Ethan Posick and his kind of emergence at the center position, it makes you forget about B.J. Finney. And it kind of even makes you forget about Justin Britt and the fact that the Seahawks released him in the offseason. So yeah. uh, I suppose if anything, you can look at that as a, and I, I know we're going to talk a little bit about the draft too, it makes it starts to make the the draft class that Posick came out of look just a little bit better. Definitely, um, yeah. He's a uh, question mark. You know what what could have been with Ethan Posick, but sure does add to the value of the middle of that draft there. Yeah, and maybe not surprising that he wasn't able to beat out Justin Britt. So now with with Britt being injured, and he's he just seems like he's solidified that position. So. 
that's one positive, I suppose, that you can look at with regard to the negative aspect to Finney. But uh, you have Greg Olson, and you listed him as a C, and I, I feel like that's somewhat appropriate, just based on his age, based on his production so far. We've seen him have some big-time catches, but then when you look at the salary yeah. side of things, too, I, I suppose just when you kind of consider all the factors that go into it, but also you can't argue that he hasn't had a solid impact uh, being kind of a, a, a guy for Russell Wilson to go to on third down. You know, he, he absolutely has had a, had a good impact. And Greg Olson's so tricky for me. I like Greg Olson, and I think he's played well. But I also happen to really like Will Disley, and both the starts to his first two years were even better. It's a hard one. Again, almost doing the exact same thing of, of grabbing another player and putting them ahead on the depth chart of somebody who, and I wouldn't even say Will Disley was unproven. He was incredible for the uh, 10 games that he played. And they just almost made Disley an afterthought until his touchdown against the Vikings. Right. It was interesting, too, that Greg Olson was their very first signing. Um, so I took issue with that in in this year with all of the needs that, you know, on the outside, we were looking at the Seahawks and these holes that we thought they had. And the very first thing they did was was grab Olsen for, you know, the five and a half guaranteed up to eight million dollars. And I think took them out of the running for some things later on uh, at a position where it, it's really hard to defend that he's an upgrade over what Will Disley could be. And it felt a little bit like uh, the tight end room was injured last year. So we need to go get somebody immediately, which tends to make you reach and overpay. I wonder now, looking back at it, though, especially through five seasons, seeing how the offense has changed. I know tight end wasn't one of those positions where you looked at in free agency and said, this is what they need to address. But I do wonder now if it was a clue to where maybe they were looking at changing this offense a whole lot sooner than, you know, right going into the beginning of the season. Yeah. Uh, and obviously they have changed the offense far more than we were expecting, you know, and I would love to still see if Schottenheimer has some more creative two tight end sets and different use there. I don't think we've seen a whole lot of that yet. Um, but I, I think the sky's the limit for what they could do with any combination of the weapons that they have on the team right now. Well, Tyler, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll continue looking at some of these free agents, including, I mean, commenters were getting after you, Tyler, about one of the names that you left off your list. We're going to talk about him coming up next. Talking to Tyler Alson, contributor for Field Goals, talking about the 2020 Seahawks offseason and how it's been looking through the first five weeks of the season. One of the players that was not discussed in the article, Tyler, and I, I think a lot of people are very happy about, and I know you're going to want to talk about him, and that's Brandon Shell replacing Jermaine Effetti. I mean, if there was an A-plus move to this offseason, this has to be one. 100% agree. Uh, I think it is it is the A plus of free agency, and uh, I did I did leave him off, and people were upset um, as I was trying to sort of highlight the decision making and the depth chart issues that we've talked about. But if the only thing the Seahawks did in free agency was sign Brandon Shell, 
then they would have won free agency. This has been such a great move. Even as good as Jermaine Effetti is playing in Chicago, it's not at right tackle. And this pass blocking unit, uh, the the clips of him just one-on-one stalling out his rushers over and over, this has been a fantastic find. It's definitely better than anything I could have expected out of the position because I think I was just expecting him to be a Fetty-ish without the penalties. That's kind of what he had been historically. Yeah. And yeah, we've seen plays where, I mean, I go back to that game against the Cowboys where he is just one-on-one with Alden Smith and just giving, the, giving Smith the business, not even allowing him around. And that uh, is something that I just, I never once saw from Jermaine Fetty. I feel like. The scouting report seemed to be Jermaine Fetty without the penalties, which even at the time sounded fantastic. Um, but this is, you know, again, it's it's that thing on the offensive line where we haven't heard these guys much. Um, I talked a little bit earlier about the, the decreasing penalties along the offensive line. But, you know, the, the sacks are still there, but it's it's hard to feel like too many of them um, aren't Russell Wilson's fault in part. Mm-hmm. And it, it is in no way the just shell shocking that that used to be on the right side of the line. I want to talk about pass rush just as a whole, Tyler. And because they did go out in free agency, they got Benson Mayoa, they got Bruce Irvin. And yes, I know he was, you know, he's a linebacker, but I think they were expecting to get some uh, decent pass rush productivity yeah. out of Bruce Irvin. They go and they get Alton Robinson in the draft along with Daryl Taylor. Taylor's obviously been injured. Hopefully we're going to see him again soon. But uh, just a pass rush as a whole, I, I I find this hard to grade, Tyler, because Mayoa has been the one out of that entire group that is, I, I feel like, that has hit the most. And I don't know if I expected him to be as a, a full-time guy as he has ended up being. Part of that may be due to the fact that Rasheem Green got injured and uh, you know Bruce Irvin getting injured. So his ability to play despite those injuries has been big. And the other reason I have trouble grading it is because some of the guys that I expected the Seahawks to go after, guys like Everson Griffin, guys like Jadevian Clowney. I mean, we had Bruce Irvin pointing out on Twitter this past week that he still has more sacks than <laughs> Jadevian Clowney. The best night on Twitter. Bruce Irvin still killing it from the sidelines. So how do you how do you grade the the what the Seahawks did in terms of acquiring pass rusher was which, which we knew was a needed spot to to improve at the soft season it is the hardest unit to grade at the moment i think because of injuries uh, it also seems to be the one that, that people are, are still the most prickly about um, i've tried to point out some of the positives and it, it t- tends not to go well people are still noticing the lack of sacks and all those things but you do have bruce Irvin who came in who's now injured and you have uh, the top rushing pick from this draft hasn't even seen the field yet in Daryl Taylor. I'm still encouraged by what's happening, though, with more of those role players with the lower end of the draft, with the unhyped uh, free agent signings. And I think there's a, there's a lot of positives here. Benson Mayoa is the one who said it takes a village to generate a, a pass rush or it takes a bunch of guys to get the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And, you know, watching him kind of take over that starting role, I don't know if he's a true number one, you know, the Leo, the edge, the the guy to lead the charge, 
but watching him take that starting role for the first time has been encouraging. Uh, over his career, he actually has had pretty high levels of pressure. He got seven sacks on just a 21 snap per game average last year. Mm. And he knows how to get after the quarterback. And, and I was hoping that what we saw in Atlanta um, would just kind of you know elevate from there. And it hasn't really, but he's still made plays, as has Alton Robinson. And so I think this team is, is really only maybe one or two guys away um, from really pushing some of those role pieces over the edge a little bit. They're so close. They're always up there in QB hits right now. Uh, they're just not seeming to get them at the right time. Yeah, 24 QB hits on the season. Demontre Moore, I guess one of those guys that we haven't yeah. really mentioned as well. And, and he's been a surprising addition as well, too. I, I did not have high hopes for him. And he is producing right behind Benson Mayoa. And I guess the other guy that I wanted to bring into the conversation here, too, is Quentin Jefferson, who was allowed to leave in free agency. Mm -hmm. He signed a pretty decent sized contract to go to Buffalo. I think there were people who would have liked to see him remain in Seattle. But when I look at what he's doing with Buffalo and I, I haven't watched every Buffalo game, but when I look at his numbers in terms of production, he's right about where LJ Collier is. And so if they're getting as much production now, I, I do understand that Quentin Jefferson plays probably 50% inside uh, with Buffalo this year so far compared to maybe 30, 40% for LJ Collier playing inside. But if you're looking at the pass rush productivity and, and that being the ideal thing that you want to look at uh, from, from that spot, the LJ Collier and Quentin Jefferson are producing at about the same level. You know, as I think of the the plays and the stops this team has made, for all the passing yards they've given up and all the rushing yards they gave up last week, LJ Collier, Benson Mayoa, Alton Robinson, Montre Moore, they've all had incredible plays when it came down, when it mattered most. And, and that seems to be more normal of this team than a fluke. They have all these guys that are able to make crucial plays. Not over the course of 60 minutes, but they've got some playmakers on this line. And it's fun to watch when it happens. In terms of other free agents, I, I think we can kind of be done with them because I do feel like with Philip Dorsett, with Carlos Hyde and Cedric Abwehi, I, I feel like those are maybe uh, you could grade them. I know you gave Dorsett an F uh, just by the fact that really, you know, did they need him, especially what we've seen from David Moore. I, I would love the fact that. Yeah, if there was somehow to transfer the the money that they had paid to Dorset and put it back to the the restricted free agent tag that they took away from David Moore, but um, it's uh, I I feel like maybe that's a, a to be to be determined for those players, and maybe just be happy that you know a, a boy he's seen some backup snaps and he hasn't looked terrible. Absolutely, it, it, and they've been rotating these guys in on the line, which is really cool that they've all been seeming to hold up. You know, the thing with Dorsett for me was just a, a short comment that Pete Carroll made. I've never heard him sound quite so angry about an injury that Dorsett apparently brought with him and Pete Carroll didn't know about. And and his tone, his uh, expression, he, he was not too happy about that. So I think that's one that they might like to have back. Yeah, well, and there is the potential that Josh Gordon could be coming back later. And if that yeah. happens... That kind of shifts us into the draft, Tyler, because Freddie Swain is one of those guys, a sixth round pick, 
I know, you know a lot of people waiting for John Ursua to arrive uh, from last season, but Freddie Swain, a, a six round pick, he's already just blown right by the production of Ursua last season. And to Keep me, waiting. he looks like a fine number four, number five receiver for this team. What's really proven it is when Russell Wilson has found Freddie Swain. Uh, it's only been one or two receptions each game. I think three games he's had one and two games he's had two, but they've all been big. There was one in particular I, I remember um, when Russell ran into a, a blitz surprise and had no hesitation whatsoever to spin left. And it wasn't a true dump off. He was about six, seven yards downfield, but fine Freddie Swain. Um, and then we all remember the the first touchdown he scored when Steve Rabel thought it was Tyler Lockett. <laughs> right. uh, he, he's just, he's earned early trust, uh, you know, for a, Six round rookie, one to two receptions a game right out of the bat is is pretty good. And the yards that he's picking up um, after catch, it's impressive. The other draft pick that I think everybody is impressed with, apart from the penalty issues, is third round pick Damian Lewis. But for the Seahawks to find a full time starter at guard in the third round, is there any other time just in Pete Carroll uh, recent history that they've really been able to do that? I, I don't think so. He's such a great plug. And I was excited for Phil Haynes and, and potential there. Still still am holding out hope, I suppose. Um, but man, Damian Lewis just jumps right in. And, and I know nothing about pro football focused grades of offensive linemen or, or how they even come about that thing. But he keeps coming out really high. And you can see, you know, on, on the amount of time that Russell has to throw when they highlight some of those plays, just look at the right side of the line. And Lewis and Shell um, holding guys off for extended periods of time. Yeah, he's got some holding problems, um, but with no preseason and no camp, he's looked like a real star. Yeah, some false start problems as well. So as long as he can get those cleaned up, I mean, just just imagine though if we had Jermaine Effetti and Damian Lewis uh, false starting and holding on that side, it would be it would be a disaster <laughs> on the right side in terms of penalties. But fortunately. Uh, going back to Brandon Shell, that has worked out well. Looking at some of these other draft picks, I mean, Alton Robinson, the, the fact that he has been able to play in these last three games, uh, despite being health, a healthy scratch for the first two games of the season. I mean, already for a fifth round pick, providing production at that spot is a win for me. And uh, and then yeah. with a lot of these other guys, it's it's kind of still to be determined, even though I mean, with a lot of these draft picks, you still want to wait two, three years before uh, you really decide on a guy. I know the fact that Patrick Queen had a big game this last week for the Ravens has a lot of people down yeah. on Jordan Brooks, but I, I'm still willing to wait and see what we get from Jordan Brooks for the rest of the season and through next season. Yeah, absolutely. And and what's so cool about this draft is we're already able to talk about three rookies who've had immediate contribution, and they're the third, the fifth, and the sixth rounders. Right. I mean, that, that speaks volumes to the potential of this draft. The first and second and fourth picks have uh, not played at all with the, with the exception of the limited time that Jordan Brooks got. And so if they hit on any of those, um, this has potential to, again, be, be a pretty good draft. And I think we all knew, you know, whether they took Jordan Brooks or Patrick Queen, they're not playing over Bobby Wagner or K.J. Wright. Right. Um, this was a pick for the future, and they identified something in Jordan Brooks that he'll have some shot now that Bruce Irvin is out. But this was 
the athlete that they wanted to set up for the future. One of the guys you specifically identified coming out of the draft in your article was DK Metcalf. And holy smokes, through these first five games of the year, he is looking like a Pro Bowl caliber, maybe even better uh, wide receiver. And so I think, as you're pointing out, for John Schneider and Pete Carroll to find that in a player, and I know he had some injuries that allowed him to slip down the board, but still to get that type of player at the final pick of round two is huge. It's incredible. You know, on Twitter right now, it's like DK Metcalf is the only good thing that John Schneider's ever done. Uh, it's, it's incredible, the conversations that are, are happening with, with just, is he already, you know, on the level of Jerry Rice? And, and it's, it's insane. But he is putting up highlights right now. Um, and, you know, this is the year that they unleashed Russell Wilson. And as great a relationship and connection that we thought he had with Tyler Lockett, and indeed that he he truly does have with Tyler Lockett, there's just something even different about Russell Wilson's relationship and connection with DK Metcalf. Considering what Metcalf did in week two to Stefan Gilmore, uh, I don't know if there's really anybody who's going to be able to slow him down all that much. No, and that had to be a huge boost for him. And moving forward, he's... He's definitely going to be a player everyone's going to be watching. Already 1,400 yards through his career in Seattle, through his 21 games now in the two seasons, 12 touchdowns, and he looks like he's going to be able to continue that pace throughout the season. So when you look at that 2019 draft, the fact that LJ Collier is getting some more time this year, uh, Marquise Blair injured, we're not going to know much more about him. Cody Barton, yeah. for him to be a borderline starter, I, I feel like that's where we're starting to to see him land and for a third round pick that I think that works Phil Haynes looking like a competent backup type lineman maybe somebody who can develop into a starting lineman uh, at that left guard spot if they if they need him there and then gosh so many picks from this draft you got Ugo Amadi, Ben Burkerva and Travis Homer and then uh, Christmas who isn't on the team anymore John Ursua who I feel like has been MIA uh, (laughs) through the first part of the season (laughs) Um, but again, you, you have guys in the fourth, fifth, and sixth rounds with Amadi, Burkirvan, and Homer who all have a role to play on this team. Yeah. Uh, again, finding those those values late in the draft. And 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 already uh this looks like you know a draft where they, they might have uh four starters, maybe even five, but they've got Collier, you know, Blair that won the starting job, uh Metcalf, and Amadi who uh, at the very least, has some kind of important role in that secondary. You know, however much they end up playing nickel, I would love to see. You know, last week we saw Cody Barton twice as much as we saw Amadi. I would love that reversed. Sure. Every game, if possible. But he has uh, proven himself well. Uh, and, and I don't, I don't know if this is, uh, if this is the right time. I don't know if we're allowed to say this. But I like Travis Homer. Uh, <laughs> I think that's okay. I think it's okay to say that, Tyler. Uh, man, yeah, you can get blasted for that right now, but yeah, I know it's, 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 uh, um, I, there's, I think there's some, a little bit of a love hate relationship with, with, uh, Travis going on right now. There is, but he, he did, uh, save that final play. His, his pass block is great. And for all the gripes about him running, um, you know, he was one of the guys I was most impressed with at training camp, just his immediate acceleration, I think is one of the best on the team. 
there are some things he needs to figure out once he has the ball, but he's so fast. Yeah, I think there is more to be seen. I, I don't think that uh, when it comes to Travis Homer, we've we've seen everything that he has to give yet either. So a lot more to come with Homer. And Tyler, as we close this out, uh, what do you got going on right now? It looked like on Thursday morning, you had a new article up on field goals talking about the Seahawks defense. Uh, for people who haven't checked that out yet, uh, what, what's the discussion point around that? Yeah, looking at primarily the, the crucial stops and the turnover differential. Russell Wilson has the unfortunate interception to Greg Olson that should never exist. And then the one that uh, DK Metcalf said was his fault. So if we throw those out, the Seahawks actually have the, they're tied for the highest turnover differential in the league. Um, mm. So they're second as it is right now, plus six. And it, it kind of pointed me back to some of the great defenses uh, that the Seahawks had six, seven, eight years ago. They're just giving up all the points and all the yards. Um, but really, everybody's doing that right now. Yeah. So. I kind of took a look into you know just the state of defense around the league, and um, what what I was encouraged by is the turnovers seem very sustainable. They're not those weird fumbles that you can't count on. They're secondary interceptions because guys are trying to make plays because they're behind, and uh, Russell's by and large protecting the ball, so the differential is there. And then three times already the game has come down to one play on defense and they've made it. They've got these guys that aren't superstars. They're not pro bowl names, but they're absolutely qualified as playmakers. And it's fun defense to watch right now as stressful as it is. It is fun to watch. And yeah, checking out the article. Now you have the Ben Baldwin tweet that shows just where the Seahawks rank in terms of defense and EPA per play. And it kind of goes to show you that when it comes to the defense, although they're giving up a boatload of yards, maybe not the worst defense out there in the NFL right now. Yeah. And, and I kind of threw it out there as a joke, but, but then I sat and thought about it and I was like, how mad are the 12s right now at the Seahawks defense? And looking at 10, 11, 12 teams that are statistically worse can't even imagine what it's like around the league right now. The, the entire world is frustrated with their team's defense. What a year. What a year. And when you have the offense that can uh, just overshadow all the problems yeah. of the defense, it is hard to be upset. So, Tyler, really appreciate you coming on, breaking down one of your latest articles. And uh, we'll look forward to doing more of these. Thanks, Brandon. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Tyler Allison for coming on the show and his first appearance on the field goals podcast. Be sure and follow him on Twitter. He's at Tyler J Alson. You can follow me at Seahawkers pod on Twitter. Be sure and follow along at field goals up on the website today, going into the weekend, you got a 5% decline in fan confidence after winning against Minnesota. So that, uh, that's going to be something to watch here going into the bye week and seeing where Seattle comes out in terms of fan confidence, because Gosh, you look over at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and they're at 100% fan confidence. So how can that be when we have two more wins than they do? So check that out. Be sure and react along through the season at SB Nation Reacts and check out a couple of other new articles up at Field Goals. Alistair Corp has some dueling articles on heaping praise on KJ Wright, but handing over some criticism to Trey Flowers. So uh, you get a little bit of yin and yang there from Alistair Corp up at FieldGoals.com. Check that out. 
Subscribe to this podcast, sbnation.com slash NFL podcasts. And we will be coming up with more shows after this weekend's action. Stay tuned. And until then, go Hawks. Hawks.